0: By helicopter. You don't believe that? You know, I like to uh, play around for all who know me. But um, when it comes to the word of God, I am very serious. And uh, I'm sure you are also. So let's just pray, Father. I thank you, Lord, for the anointing, your love and your mercy upon us, Lord. I pray for your strength and your wisdom, Lord. Pour out your spirit upon all the people here, all the people that couldn't make it today, on the rabbis, on the leadership, on this congregation, Lord. We just want to love you and honor you and bring forth your word, your truth. Lord, I pray for your wisdom in bringing forth your word and that our ears would be open to hear what the spirit of the living God, the Ruach HaKodesh, has to say to us in the name of Yeshua. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. So, um, as you know, we've been having like a series on the book of Acts and last week I just wanted to sum up some people were here some weren't here I just want to sum up real quick we went through Acts 16 and um, the rabbis spoke on it and in Acts 16 if you remember there was this uh, woman who had a a spirit a snake spirit and um, it's named that way in, in Acts 16 And Shaul finally cast out this spirit from this woman. She was called a slave girl, and she made money for the people who owned her. So they were ticked off, to say the least, because she couldn't do her this unspiritual or evil job anymore. And um, so Rav Shaul and uh, Sila were thrown into prison. They were beaten, thrown into prison, and there were blocks of wood, heavy blocks of wood clamped to their feet, and then in the middle of the night, there's an earthquake, and suddenly, gee, I wonder how that happened, their chains fell off. Okay, so God does a miracle, and then uh, the jailer, being frightened, thought he was going to get, you know, executed because these men are going to escape and they said don't you know don't hurt yourself and uh he says what must i do to be saved and they bring forth the word of the lord the word of, of yeshua the bessorah the good news to this man and to he said they say to him you and all your household are going to be saved what a blessing and so uh then they're they're out of the prison. They're in this man's house. But then in the morning, the word comes down from from the uh, I guess the magistrates, the government, saying we're going to free these guys. But they've al- they don't even know that they're already out. So then they get freed. But then they say they tell him, you can go. But Rob Shaul says. You, you flogged us publicly, and we're not going to just leave. Because they didn't even have a trial. And they said, we're Roman citizens, which was a big deal back then. So the magistrates, they're afraid. And they said, Rob Shaul says, we want a public apology. So that's where chapter 16 lets off, Ends. So I'm going to read, I guess we don't have it on the PowerPoint, that's okay. If you have your Bible, open to chapter 17 of Acts, okay? Chapter 17 of Acts, because we just got done with 16. So I'm going to read it to you, if you don't have your Bible. After passing through Amphipolis and Apollonia, Shaul and Sila came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue, and according to his usual practice, Shaul went in, and on three Shabbats, he gave them Drashes from the Tanakh. Now, a drosh is the Hebrew term for a sermon, okay? He, on three Shabbats, he gave them Drashes from the Tanakh, explaining and proving that the Messiah, the Mashiach, had to suffer and rise from the dead, And that this Yeshua, whom I am proclaiming to you, is the Messiah. He is the Mashiach. Some of the Jews were persuaded and threw in their lot with Shaul and Sila, as did a great many of the Greek men who were God-fearers and not a few of the leading women. But the unbelieving Jews, they grew jealous. So they got together some vicious men from the riffraff hanging around in the market square, and they collected a crowd and started a riot in the city. They attacked Jason's house, hoping to bring Shaul and Sila out to the mob. But when they didn't find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers before the city authorities and shouted, These men have turned the whole world upside down and have come here too. And Jason has let them stay in his home. All of them are defying the decrees of the emperor because they assert that there is another king, Yeshua. Their words threw the crowd and the authorities into a turmoil so that only after Jason and the the others had posted bond did they let them go. But as soon as night fell, the brothers sent Shaul and Sila off to to Berea. So as soon as they arrived, they went into the synagogue. Now the people here were of nobler character than the ones in Thessalonica. They eagerly welcomed the message, checking the Tanakh every day to see if the things Shaul was saying were true. And many of them came to trust, as did a number of prominent Greek women and not a few Greek men. But when the unbelieving Jews of Thessalonica heard or learned that the word of God had been proclaimed by Shaul and Berea as well, they went there to make trouble and agitate the crowds. And the brothers sent Shaul away at once to go down to the seacoast, while Sila and Timothy stayed behind. Shaul's escort went with him as far as Athens, then left with instructions for Sila and Timothy to come as quickly as they could. Well, that's up through uh, verse 15, and that's as far as I'm going to go here. What we're centering on here or focusing on is verses 10 through 12, which I just read to you, and I'm just going to read it again. As soon as they arrived, they went to the synagogue. Now, the people here were of nobler character, noble, than the ones in Thessalonica. They eagerly welcomed the message, checking the Tanakh every day to see if the things Shaul was saying were true. And many of them came to trust, as did a number of prominent Greek women and not a few Greek men. And you got to realize, what would you have done if you were the Bereans, as opposed to the Thessalonians. The, the essence of what this is bringing up to us, the, the theme here, is that these Bereans had something different about them. And right now, before I go on, you folks are the Bereans. Okay? You are no longer just Beth Emanuel. You're the Beth Emanuel Bereans. And that's a good thing better than being the Thessalonians who had a problem with hearing the word the way Rav Shaul, that they were bringing to it, that Rav Shaul was bringing to them, correct? So let me give you a little background in these Bereans. The Bereans were residents of the city of Berea in Macedonia. We'll say they were like the people in Holbrook in Suffolk County, okay? They were residents In Berea, in an area known as Macedonia. If you looked on a map, it's somewhere around Greece, Turkey, around that area, okay, today. So, Berea, Holbrook. Macedonia, Suffolk County. All right, so here we are. We're the Bereans. Thus, the Bereans exhibited positive characteristics that marked their response to the Becerah, which is the good news message. Scripture here tells us that the Bereans were more noble. What does that mean? They were open-minded because of their willing reception of the word of God. Now contrast this with the unbelieving Thessalonian Jews Thus the Bereans were eager to hear the teaching of Rav Shuel and Sila. They wanted it. Like, you know, brothers, bring it on. You know, we, we hear this. What you're saying to us is 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 new, is different. What why are you coming to us with this word? So the Bereans examined what they heard by comparing the various scriptures. What scriptures? What scriptures are we talking about? You're right. The Tanakh, of course. The old covenant scriptures. The Brit Hadashah wasn't even written yet. They honestly listened and conducted personal research with Rab Shaul, which led many Bereans to faith in Yeshua as the promised Messiah. This also extended to many Greek or Gentile, non-Jewish men and women in Berea to embrace Yeshua. Now, I wanted to read you something, and this little pamphlet here is out in the foyer. It's been sitting out there for a while. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's titled, Yeshua, Who Is He? And it's written by Dr. Michael Brown who was my mentor a number of years back. And I just wanted to read you just a couple of paragraphs of this. Now listen. Although the world is full of religions, the controversy surrounding the messiahship of, it says here Jesus, we're going to messianize this, the the messiahship of Yeshua is unique because both those who accept Yeshua and those who reject him based their beliefs on one and the same book, right? This book here, one and the same. Are we all using the same book? Okay. Jews who follow Yeshua say he must be the Messiah. He fulfilled all the prophecies of the Bible. And Jews who don't follow Yeshua say he can't be the Messiah. He fulfilled none of the prophecies of the Bible. So who's right? From one book, the Hebrew scriptures have come two faiths. One faith says, We'd rather die than confess the name of Yeshua. The other faith says, We'd rather die than deny the name of Yeshua. One faith says, There are two messiahs who will only come once. The other faith says, There is one Messiah, but he will come twice. So how can we know the truth? Who are we? Are we like the Bereans? Beth Emanuel Bereans, remember? Of more noble character? Are we open-minded to not only hear the word of God, but to read and study God's word? Are we prepared to search and compare the writings of the Torah and the prophets? Because Adonai doesn't just want you to hear his word and trust in it. Yes, he wants that. That trusting from us. But he also wants us to share his truth with the unbelieving world. Are we prepared to defend our beliefs with the knowledge of the scriptures. In other words, do we really know the word in order to share it? And keep in mind, when I read read to you this Acts 10 through 12, chapter 17, 10 through 12, it's sort of a snapshot. And you know a snapshot? It's like I'm, I take a picture of my wife over there and all we see is that pretty face, smiling, nice dress, everything. You look good. Anyways, so we take a snapshot, but we don't know anything really about her other than, you know, where did she, how did she get here today, and where's she going later? It only gives us a moment in time, that snapshot. So when we read this, it says that they studied the word, but, you know, I I say to myself, when I read this, what did they study? Where did they go to prove to them that Yeshua is the Messiah? Because we read this over and over again in the book of Acts. That Rav Shaul, who was this trained uh, rabbi, who at one time didn't believe at all, just like we said, two religions are from the same book, right? But now he came to believe. Okay, Rav Shaul had a supernatural experience with the living God. He was made to go blind for a few days and sent to a place called Straight Street in Damascus. And we get all this information from the book of Acts. And that's why we're going through it. You know, this is your book. I've said this before. This is our book. This is our history. From our brothers and sisters a long time ago. And when I first came to the Lord, I told you that I you know, somebody said to read the book of Acts. And I tried to imagine myself. And every time I read it, I still try to imagine myself there trying to reach people and hearing the word, whether they be Jewish people or non-Jewish people. It didn't matter. And when I talk to people about the Lord, I I talk to Jews and non-Jews the same way. I bring forth the prophecies of the scriptures to let them know what the word of God says. Now, you get an unbelieving person I don't believe that, it, that's, that's a bunch of, you know, malarkey, I, it's, it's not for me, it's not for Jews, it's not for us, we're whatever they, you know, they call themselves religion, maybe totally secular, atheists, but, and you can't convince everybody, but you try to give them the truth, do you know these truths, now, okay, that's the snapshot in Acts 10. 17, 10 through 12. I got a little story for you. And usually you start the story in the beginning, but I wanted to start it here because things aren't always what they seem. Now, I hope I tell this right. There was a rabbi, and he had his congregation, a little bit of an older guy, but he, you know how sometimes somebody who you expect you see them every week at the congregation and then suddenly they're not there for a while he had this older woman who was a regular congregant and she wasn't there so he decided to go visit her and so he goes to her house and knocks on the door and she opens the door and she says, "Rabbi, you know, come on in." You know, he, he said, "Well, you know, I I don't have to come in. I haven't I haven't seen you in a while. I was just concerned. I didn't know if you were sick. I just wanted to come over and pray and encourage you." And she says, "No, I'm, I've been fine." You know, and she says, "But come on in. Come on in." You know, it's like around the noon hour, and uh, he sits down on the on the couch and. There's uh She says, "Would you like some some tea?" So he says, "Sure, you know, but you don't have to put yourself out." But she says, "No, no, I, I was going to make some tea for myself. I'll make some for you if it if it's okay with you." So he sits down on the couch, and she goes to make the tea. And there's a coffee table, like it is a lot of living rooms, you know, in a lot of houses. And there's a a. Um, what do you call it, a dish on the the coffee table. And there's some peanuts in the coffee table. Okay? So he goes or she goes to make the tea. Now she's gone a while. Okay? So he's feeling a little bit hungry. So he said, well, I mean, I'll, I'll pop the peanut in my mouth. He eats one peanut, two peanuts. There's a plate full of peanuts. Pretty soon he's got quite a few. He's She's taking her time, you know, she's an older woman, she's not that fast. He figures, well, she'll be she'll be right out. Takes like a while, you know, 15 20 minutes before she comes back. And he's just about finished all of these peanuts. So she finally comes back with the tea. And uh she sits down, gives him the tea, and, and, he, and he says, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry, but I, I ate just about all of your peanuts. And she says, you know, that's okay. Don't worry about it. You know, I, as you can see, I, I don't have teeth, okay? So what I do is, and she pulls out from a pocket in her apron that she had on, and she puts it in her mouth and it's a chocolate covered peanut and she sucks it on and she says I don't have teeth so I can't chew them up so when I'm done with them I just put them in the on, on the coffee table in this little platter All right you get the idea So she would suck off the chocolate and put the peanut in the platter and then she can't eat them. So they would just sit there. So he enjoyed them, okay? I said that because things aren't always what they seem. All right? Things aren't always what they seem. In this snapshot in this chapter, 10 through 12, where these were Bereans, more noble, willing to look at the word of God. They went to, you know, they went to services week after week and they worshiped God. But there was something within the word that they had, you know, not come to know. Because a lot of the services talked about the prophecies within the scriptures about this Messiah. And now he came upon the scene. Rashaul and Sila didn't sit on the good news they had. Everywhere they went, they couldn't wait to eagerly share. But things in the Bethserah, sometimes they are not always what they seem to be. Since I renamed you the Bereans, we are the Bereans of today. Hearing the word, we have examined and received Yeshua into our hearts with all manner of eagerness. In our nobleness, we not only believe, but we feel compelled to declare Adonai's Mashiach. Isn't it like a burning in your bones, in your heart? You feel, if I don't get this message out, I'll just explode. Don't you feel like that sometimes when you meet somebody and you just want to share the word? And yes, you want to declare this besara, this good news, with grace and with dignity and compassion, just as Rav Shaul did. And deep inside your heart, you hope your audience won't spit on you or they won't beat you to a pulp Or have you thrown in jail, as it happened to these brothers in the word, in this book of Acts. Because it did happen to them. And in other parts of the world, it's happening today. Because we listen to the news and we pray for those under severe persecution. But here in America, we're excited because we are relatively safe compared to other areas on planet Earth. We know that people are having their heads cut off. Women are being raped. People are being beaten. People are being taken to, into slavery. It's, it's just uh, unbelievable. You don't, you don't even have words for it. It's awful. And, but rel- we're relatively safe here. I haven't shed any blood sharing the gospel. And I, but you know, I pray for the, I'm sure you do also for those who are in such dire straits and praying for their lives. Some of the Jewish people in Thessalonica were persuaded by Shaul's arguments. And also Gentile men and women came to believe However, we also understand how the unbelieving Jewish population of Thessalonica set about to destroy the faith, not only in Thessalonica, but in Berea as well. You might say that, you know, the Thessalonians were, because some of them came to believe, just like the Bereans, but then these who were opposed, so opposed that they set out for instance, verse 13, but when the unbelieving Jews of Thessalonica, the unbelieving Jews, learned that the word of God had been pro- proclaimed by Shaul in Berea, they went about to make trouble, to agitate the crowd. They're almost, you know, they remind me of whether they be the uh, Chabad, whether they be other Orthodox Jews, whether they be uh, atheists, whether they, you know, you know what's going on in the government, in the schools, you know, we, we you can't pray, you can't, you can't, bring forth the word of God Uh, you got to grant abortions to people everything under the sun you know good is now bad and bad is good and that's the the kind of conditions we live in so that is why it's so important to be grounded and that word grounded somebody said to me one time I Another guy who I went to a, a, a congregation with, he knew the word, I felt, and memorized a lot, a lot of scripture. But this guy who was a missionary who, who we were with, talking to him, he said, you're not grounded in the word. And in a way, I understood, in a way, I, I didn't. But to be grounded in the word, to be a real believer... And to know the word, and not just to know it, but to live it. So that is why it's so important to be grounded, grounded in undeniable scriptures. Because if we aren't, the forces of darkness will steal, destroy, and rob your trust in the Messiah. Now, I'm going to go into, for a moment, chapter 13, same book, Book of Acts. Because earlier Rob Shaul had been in a place called Pisidian Antioch. It says he went on his way from Perga to Pisidian Antioch. And in Acts 13, on a Shabbat, he went into the synagogue and he sat down. And after reading from the Torah and from the prophets, kind of like what we did here today, right? The synagogue leaders sent them a message. This is to Shaul and Sila. Brothers, if any of you has a word of exhortation for the people, speak. So Shaul stood, motioned with his hands, and then he said, Men of Israel and God-fearers, listen, the God of this people, the God of this people Israel, chose our fathers. And he made the people great during the time when they were living as aliens in Egypt and with an outstretched arm he led them out of the land and so for, for some 40 years he took care of them in the desert and after he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave the land to, to his people as an inheritance so he's running down the history of Israel and the greatness of everything that God himself had done and then he says in verse 22 of uh, chapter 13 of Acts God removed, he's talking about um, Saul, who became the first king of Israel. God removed him and raised up David as king for them, making his approval known with these words. I found David Ben-Yishai, David Ben-Jesse, to be a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want. And in keeping with his promise, God has brought Israel from this man's descendants a deliverer, Yeshua. Now before the coming of Yeshua, Yohanan proclaimed to all the people of Israel an immersion in connection with turning to God from sin. But as Yohanan was ending his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? Well, I am not. That's Yohanan, the immerser, saying this. But after me is coming someone, the sandals of whose feet I am unworthy to untie. And now comes this paragraph, chapter 13, 26. Brothers, the son of Abraham and those among you are God-fearers. It is to us that the message of this deliverance has been sent. For the people living in Yerushalayim and their leaders and listen to this, did not recognize who Yeshua was or understand the message of the prophets read every Shabbat. Every Shabbat. All over the world, the the known world, and you could say the same thing about the synagogues today. The message of the prophets is read every Shabbat, so they fulfilled that message by condemning him. Now this was taking place in Jerusalem. He's saying they could not find any legitimate ground for a death sentence. Nevertheless, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all the things written about him, he was taken down from the stake and placed in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He appeared for many days to those who had come up with him from the Galil to Jerusalem, and they now and they are now. His witnesses to the people. So now they're bringing the good news. What Rob Shul- Shaul did here in knowing the scriptures, in knowing the prophecies, he was bringing all over everywhere he went. So the devil comes to steal and destroy, and he tries to rob your faith. So if you say, that can't happen to me, well, that's good. In fact, that's great, because I'll tell you a secret. That can never happen to me. Why? Because I know the word of God. I've known people that allowed the evil one to rob their faith because of family persecution or troubles in life. You know why it can't happen to me? Just like I said, because I know his word. What it says about the Son of God who came to rescue me from sin, from sickness and disease. I know what Yeshua said, and I know His prophets. I said to you, things aren't always what they seem. Remember the lady with the peanuts? The man? The rabbi? Okay. Acts 13. They're reading the word of God week after week after week for years and years and years. Yet it says here that their leaders did not recognize who Yeshua was, or understand the message of the prophets. You know, we're given this book of Acts for a reason, so that we could go back and see what happened at the beginning. And you could relate to that from the beginning to where we are today, almost 2,000 years later. And we're still running into the same walls and, and trying to relate the true word of God. And like in this pamphlet, it said, how do you get two religions out of one book? Look, the only thing I'm trying to bring to you today is to know the word of God. For your own faith, for your own faith, and so that you can relate that word to other people. Yeshayahu, Isaiah, said, And I made a copy of this. Miles, you want to come up here a second? He didn't know I was going to do this. I want you to read something. Where I have it right here. Is there anything on the back? I'm going to give you some more to read, not just that.
1: Okay. The suffering and glory of the servant.
0: This is from Isaiah Yeshayahu, chapter 52. The end of chapter fifty two
1: See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness.
0: Okay. Yeshua was beaten half to death before he went to that tree of sacrifice. This is a prophetic word, Isaiah 52:13, about what would happen before he went to that tree. Now, maybe most of you know this. But if you don't, think about it every time you go to give the word of God to somebody. Start with Yeshayahu 52:13, and then go on to 53.
1: So will he sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him.
0: He wasn't a 7-foot Robert Redford. All right? He was an ordinarily ordinary plain-looking man as far as we know. It says it right here. He was not anything about him, no beauty or majesty that we should be attracted to him.
1: He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces as he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand.
0: Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Miles. Praise the Lord. That's God's word. That's not my word. And the only thing I'm saying to all of us, and I say it to you, just know some prophecies. At least if you don't memorize it, you might know a few verses. You might know where to say to somebody. I remember... uh, A couple of weeks ago, uh, we made some phone calls to some people in an outreach. And Fred said to share to somebody, he said, just read Isaiah 53. You might push them back a little bit, Isaiah 52, 13, but through 53. Because if you come to somebody and they they never heard of Messiah, Or they never heard of any of these things. And there was a point in my I never heard of them. I've said this before. I'll say it over and over again until I die. So God used this scripture that he spoke roughly seven or 800 years before Messiah came. And know also the time frame, if you can find out, and you can, roughly. It doesn't have to be exact. But roughly, I mean, 700 years is a pretty long time that this prophecy was written by Yeshayahu, by Isaiah, before the Messiah came. And he wrote quite a few other prophecies within his the prophetic book of, of Yeshayahu. So we know certain chapters to point people to. And like I said, even to your own faith. The devil will always try to rob your faith if he gets you to doubt in some way. You know what I do? I start thinking back in Isaiah 53. I start thinking about it Back about when the, the the Messiah was supposed to come. I started thinking about how I needed somebody to take away my sin. That's before I ever, ever believed there was a, a thing called sin. And so I'm, I'm trying to give you some information here to get you to think about your own faith, to get you to think about Acts chapter 13. We're in Acts 17. And all the things that happened prior to us and up to us. And, and what's going to happen tomorrow. In, um, I know what Psalm 16 says. Because in Psalm 16, I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night. My heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you have not abandoned me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. The prophecy that the Messiah would rise from the dead. You know, if you come in contact with somebody and you can give them these and they don't receive it, that's not your fault. It's not my fault. But you can give them something to think about. Isaiah 53, the unbelieving Jewish people who know about it, some will say it's uh, you know from the Chabad, Schneerson. Uh, they'll say uh, it's about Israel. How could Israel take on the sins of Israel? It says that he would be despised and rejected. They'll say, oh, that's Israel. They were despised and rejected. It doesn't add up because you have to put the pieces of the puzzle together and the pieces of the puzzle say that he would be despised and rejected, that he would uh, uh, be placed in a rich man's grave uh, and I'm getting to something here where his his hands and his feet were pierced that he would come in a certain time in history there's the prophecy that I'm, I'm going to get to about about, well, let me get to it. <laughs> it says, in Psalm 110, Adonai says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And Adonai is the name of God, vav Vavhe. Psalm 110, Adonai says to my Lord, Why should Adonai call anybody Lord? That's the you know I know these scriptures because I didn't create them on my own. I've looked into the Word of God and I've I've looked into um, the Book of Acts. I've looked into the prophecies. I've looked into the Psalms and I've I've looked so that I can have a sort of a, uh, a rolodex in my mind where I can go into the scriptures and prove to myself. And prove to others of who Yeshua is. And if you need any help in this, I'll be glad to sit down. Rabbis will be glad to sit down. We can give you some some, uh, scriptures to look up. And And you know where they are. It also says in Psalm 22 that he would be executed on a stake you all familiar with Psalm 22? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isn't that, we're told in the Gospels, in the the, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Yeshua said that when he was on the stake, being crucified. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out, by day, but you do not answer. By night, and am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you, our fathers put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried out. They cried to you and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by men, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. Isn't that what the guards did when he was being executed? They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like, a, like water. And all my bones are out of joint. You know, it's said that when somebody is, is crucified, that they don't... I used to think that they were, like, bled to death. But when they're hanging from that tree of sacrifice, and they have no way to, to hold themselves up, and eventually their, their joints dislocate, their, their shoulders and so what happens is they suffocate because you can't breathe. You understand that. It's a cruel way that men invented to kill people. And for most people, they didn't die right away. It might have taken them a couple of days before they perished. But I think about it as Yeshua, our Messiah took on our sin and our sickness and our disease, that it just crushed him. My strength, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They pierce my hands and my feet. In the Masoretic texts in Scripture, where it's read in most every synagogue around the world, they use the Masoretic. The, Maserat, the um translated the Scriptures, and it came, you could look this up online in any encyclopedia. They brought forth the word into the Hebrew and other languages, but it was around 600 to 900 A.D. So they there was a slight change because they had, uh, I think, a jot or a tittle in the writing of of this one word, where it, it in most of the English versions of the Masoretic text it doesn't say they pierced my hands and my feet it says like a, like a roaring lion and David Stern brings that out in his Bible translation in the complete Jewish Bible now this translation they pierced my hands and my feet is from the Septuagint which is what the writers of the new covenant would have used The the Septuagint was a translation by 70 or 72 Greek-speaking Jews. And they were commissioned to, to translate the scriptures around 200 B.C. So it was long before the Messiah came. And so it would be more accurate to us to say they pierced his hands and his feet. Psalm 22. What I'm getting at is that the Masoretic text that's read in the synagogues, it removes this, changes it. Now, whether they did it deliberately, I'm not going to say that. But it's interesting that they don't have that in there. So when I read to you... So if somebody says to you, well, that's not even in there, you could say, well, if you went back to the Septuagint of 200 B.C., not the Masoretic, which came about hundreds of years after in the AD, then you could understand why it's translated that way. And then that he would be the Mashiach, the anointed one who would come after the rebuilding of the temple but before its destruction again. Daniel chapter 9 brings this out because in Daniel 9, I'm not going to go through the the whole scripture, but it brings out that the Messiah would come, and it mentions after the rebuilding of the temple. And then the temple would be destroyed. Now, the temple was first built by Jewish history, we know, by who? By Solomon. David wanted to build the temple, but God said, you won't build it, but your son will build it. So Solomon built a temple, and in the Babylonian captivity, it was destroyed 586 BC. That's Jewish history. You can see that in any encyclopedia. Look it up online. The first temple, the second temple. So the temple was destroyed. And then the books of Ezra and Nehemiah talk about the rebuilding of the temple. And so they rebuilt the temple. And then it stood for all those years. And then it was destroyed again in 70 AD. Well, the prophecy says that the Messiah would come after the rebuilding of the temple. After which is it was destroyed in 586. And then he would come. It says he'd be cut off from the land of the living. And then he w- the temple would be destroyed. So he had to come in that time frame prior to 70 AD. Who came prior to 70 AD that caught our attention? That says that he was Messiah took on the sins of the world as it says in Isaiah 53. That he was despised and rejected. That his hands and his feet were pierced. That he would come in that time frame. That's what convinced me. That's what should convince you. That's what you relate to other people. That's what I mean being grounded in the word of God. That's what I mean when it says in, in Acts chapters 13 and chapter 17. All throughout the book of Acts. This is what Rav Shaul was bringing to them. The word that he knew. Now, he couldn't say, well, after the destruction of the temple, because it wasn't destroyed yet. But all the other things that he could bring forth to them, that at least he could say the Messiah had to come after the rebuilding of the temple. And then there were some other things about the decree that was issued to to rebuild the temple. And I can't go into all that detail. But if you ever wanted to sit down and talk with me about it, we we could look it up together. So the Messiah would come. I got one other um, prophecy here. In Daniel chapter 7. This one, every time I read read this, this excites me. Daniel chapter 7. I'm going to start with verse 9. As I looked, the thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Who do you think that is? Father, Abba? His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were of all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The courts were seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words, the horn was speaking. The horn was referring, I believe, to Satan. And I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire, thrown into hell. Kind of reminds you of uh, uh, the movies we, you know, the uh, the Twin Towers, uh, not the Twin Towers. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying. Right, what's the, what's the name of that? Miles? Huh? No. Lord of the Rings, thank you. I knew that. That's what it's about, the books. <laughs> and I kept looking until the beast was slain his body thrown into the blazing fire. And the other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. Verse 13 of chapter 7 of Daniel. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man. Now, who do you think that is? Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, And sovereign power. And all peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now who is Abba Father going to give his glory to? None other than the Son of the living God. Our Messiah. Hallelujah. This is the one I live to serve. And you live to serve. And that's why I know the word of God. So no one can rob my belief in Yeshua as Messiah. Who died for my sins and your sins. And who rose from the grave on the third day. He is the Lamb of God who took upon himself our unrighteousness. That we would be righteous before him. For us who believe. Finally. Be like the Bereans and know the scriptures until they are oozing out of every pore in your body. That your spirit would light up like the son of man and we are his forever. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Could somebody get um, Evan in, I think he's in the nursery. Okay. I'll just pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for for this day. I thank you, Lord, for Shabbat. Every Shabbat, every day, every blessing that you give us. Lord, I pray that we would learn your word, that we would know your word, that we would, Lord, that the word would be shot up on our bones, but only long enough that we could give it out, that we could give it out, that we could give out the truth of the word of God, that we could proclaim Yeshua, Messiah, son of the living God, that we could reach our neighbors, Lord, that we could reach our co-workers, that we could reach our relatives, Lord, that we could reach the community here in Holbrook. And Lord, that we would be the Bereans, Lord, of a more noble character to receive your word, to honor your word, to live in holiness and righteousness. Lord, that we would glorify your name. You alone are God. You alone are God. You alone are Lord, the Most High. You are the Ancient of Days. You are the Son of Man. You are the Living God, Creator of Heaven and Earth. You are the Author of all life. Father, I love you. We love you, Lord. Yeshua, we love you. Lord, I pray that we would give you our our all, Lord, and honor you in everything we do. In the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. Now, uh, Evan's going to come up here and uh, give us the uh, Aaronic benediction. And uh, after that, your excuse. If anybody wants uh, a prayer for anything, we'll be here to pray for you, okay? God bless you. Amen. Amen. <laughs> May Adonai bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Ah, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Shabbat. And thank you for your word in Yeshua's name. Amen.